Hi, my name is Rhythm. And my name is Eki. And we are the hosts for season three of the TRU Business Law Podcast. We are current two-all students who are passionate about the corporate commercial legal world. The nature of business law is that it is a constantly changing legal landscape. That's why we aim to utilize this podcast to provide students, lawyers, and the general public insights from talented legal professionals from some of the most accomplished firms in Canada. We hope that our conversations with rising legal stars law professors, lawyers, and other legal professionals provide you with thought-provoking entertainment. However, this podcast is not legal advice. Today, we are pleased to welcome Annika to our podcast. Annika is a first-year associate in the business law practice area and a member of the technology group at the Vancouver location of Macmillan. Annika recently graduated with her JD from Allard School of Law at UBC, where she was significantly involved in leading many clubs and achieving great success. Annika was also recently recognized by Mundak for an exceptional paper that she co-authored, leading her to pursue exciting opportunities that we are looking forward to learning more about in this podcast. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Annika. We really appreciate your time and knowledge. To start off, I see that you graduated with a bachelor's in commerce. So I'm wondering if you always knew that you wanted to pursue business law, and if so, what made you choose this field? Thank you both for having me. I'm really excited to be here today and talking a bit about my experience and sharing that with the students at TRU. Um, In terms of how I got into business law, I did graduate with a bachelor in commerce. And actually, what got me into going to law school just generally was my business law classes that I took at the school. So I went to business school hoping that it would open doors after high school because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then when I got there, I suppose that wasn't enough doors. So I decided law school was the next the next step to see if I could find uh, my true calling. And um, a kind of a hint towards that was in these business law courses I took in my third year of my undergrad. I found myself getting really, really interested in the content that we were taught, so much so that I was kind of geeking out outside of the classroom, looking up hypotheticals, doing legal research, and I kind of took this as a, a whoa, this is probably something you should explore a little bit more. So I decided to go to law school to to do that, and then I went into law school with this idea that business law was going to be a passion of mine, marrying kind of my first degree and my second degree. Uh, But I really wanted to keep an open mind, which I think is really important as you're kind of deciding what to do. Like I said, I like having a lot of doors open. And so I really explored litigation and other areas as well, but definitely ended up coming back to um, that kind of initial interest that I had with business law. No, that's so nice to hear. And I definitely agree. I think in high school, it can be a little bit difficult to choose an undergrad in the beginning if you don't really know where you want to end up. So it's nice that you got to experience all those business law classes. I remember taking poli side just because that's what I saw most lawyers taking. But luckily, I got really involved and like I ended up really enjoying it. But it's nice to know that you were able to get all that background before diving into business law. And so what would you say is your favorite part about this practice area? I think there's a lot of great parts about practicing kind of in a solicitor role, working with clients. I think my favorite aspect of it is being a real advisor to your client, kind of workshopping ideas with them and helping them achieve their goals. Um, I love the collaborative aspect of solicitor practice and you know working with colleagues and um, opposing counsel towards a common goal. 
Okay, nice. And would you say that this is something that comes with time, like learning how to build those relationships with clients or is it sort of taught? Like, how does that work? I, th I think that probably varies person to person. I think there's so many different ways of practicing law and a successful law firm needs all different types of people and approaches to practice. I would say some people are much more uh, academic in their practice and really love engaging with legal research in that aspect of law and really provide services to their clients in that lens. But then on that same file, you'd also have someone who's very relationship focused and very much into the practical, you know, helping clients approach their, their, their issues. And so it's interesting kind of having those different pieces and different approaches to practice to really service a client best. And so I would say I'm someone who really at the onset of my career wants to focus on that relationship piece. Awesome. Yeah, no, it sounds like uh, mentorship is the key aspect in the profession in general. Um, just to circle back a bit, you were saying that you uh, did your, your undergrad in BCom. I actually have a very similar background and went in for the exact same reasons. Um, Amazing. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So, you know, business was a way to open up doors. And now I'm finding myself kind of coming back and um, wanting to tie that, that business degree and my law degree together. And I think a lot of students um, who listen to our podcast are also interested in business law. So is there anything that you did during your time in law school, whether it was a club or a specific course that you think really helped ease the transition from law school to your job at Macmillan that you recommend other students look into? Yeah, I think that's an important question. I think um, one thing that you probably hear like a broken record um, as you're entering the workforce in law is that there's a huge gap between law school and practice. and I've experienced that firsthand. Everyone I know has experienced that firsthand. So I get the urge to want to kind of shrink that gap. And I think um, what I did to try and limit um, that learning curve is to take experiential learning opportunities and practitioner taught courses to try and get more real world experience while you're in the classroom. I think that's one thing that I I did that I think helped to kind of shrink that gap a little bit. And so practitioner taught courses, you know, a lot of times they'll outline the black letter law and then give you a bit of an aside where they talk about, okay, so here's what it looks like on paper, but in real life, this happened. And here's a situation I had with a client and this is what we did. And this is the outcome. And, you know, that's kind of where I found a lot of key learnings that helped to shrink that learning curve. Um, I'll be honest, that learning curve is still massive when you're entering the practice of law, but getting to hear, you know, anecdotes and personal experience or getting to go out and have your own personal experience through experiential learning opportunities. I think that's, that's the advice that I would give. And I completely agree with that. And so you were talking about experiential learning. And so we saw that you were a part of the business law clinic and UBC law review. We were wondering if you could maybe touch on these experiences and how they maybe helped you in terms of your job. Absolutely. And I think, you know, these two experiences tie in a little bit to what I was saying before about different approaches to law in different um, stages. So when I got involved with the UBC Law Review as a first year law student, I was an assistant editor. So what that involved was, um, you know, uh, potential papers that were submitted to the law, um, to the law review would then be um, parsed out and sent out to students to edit. And so looking at citations, looking at overall flow, looking at making sure that the approaches to like grammar and such match our guidebook. Um, so very technical and academic. And I think what I learned from that was very much how to absorb legal writing. Um, more than just reading it, but actually having to understand it. Because when you're looking at something through a microscope, um, that really kind of helps build up that part of, of your legal acumen. 
So that's what I think I got out of the UBC Law Review, certainly. And it made citations and everything else a lot easier once I got into it. And then the business law clinic is very much that experiential learning piece that I was talking about. And so what this involved was actually having your own clients overseen by lawyers um, and on their insurance and all of that. Um, And so it was kind of like an interactive uh, seminar where you'd go in and like learn different um, approaches to law, different uh, tasks that lawyers have to do, different drafting protocols and such. And then you'd also have your own clients and you would do everything with them. So you'd have that lawyer oversee you do the intake interview where you're meeting with a potential client. Um, Mine was during the pandemic. So it was over Zoom, kind of like this, where you get to interact with the client, learn about uh, their business needs and then see how you can address them. And then you go back to the classroom and then they start uh, kind of formatting the class around the kinds of things you're going to have to do. So I had to draft like a um, shareholders agreement. And we had a class on how shareholders agreements work. And so then I got to go and take pen to paper and work with the client about their needs. And so it was a really, really cool hands-on experience that, like I said, helped to um, move from the classroom to real practice. We also actually have a great legal clinic at TRU. So I would definitely recommend students looking into that. Um, During the summer, though, I was in Vancouver. So I took part in LSLAP instead, which is at UBC. And I remember having to read a con- an actual contract from beginning to end. And I just found it so funny that that's something I hadn't done in first year yet. And so like that was the first time I was actually getting that hands-on experience. So I totally agree like how helpful that can be. Yeah, no, I completely agree as well. Um, and it sounds like you've had some amazing opportunities to uh, get hands-on experience both in class and outside of the class. Um, With that being said, are there any other experiences that you've had going into your summer that you think helped build the skills you needed to succeed in your summer and your articling positions? I think there's no cookie cutter response to that question. I think we're all kind of an accumulation of our life experiences, and then we can reflect on them and see what what bits and pieces kind of helped uh, uh, advance us from where we are today. So for example, if I look back on kind of some experiences that I had before law school, I had some internships that were in an office setting. So I think that helped with, you know, maybe some of the social learning curve within the firm, trying to even understand, you know, how an office dynamic works, because for lots of people entering law, they've never done that before. And so that's a different learning curve in its own right. I also worked in a restaurant as a server. And I think that was an amazing experience that was very transferable. Before I took on that experience um, in my undergrad, I was really kind of shy and didn't like talking to strangers. Very, I wasn't very comfortable in that setting. Um, and now if you meet me, people are shocked that I ever had that issue. But, um, you know, personal growth and going through those different stages in life can help you. And so I now look back and think before my summer, I had that office experience. I had that um, experience um, meeting all different kinds of people and having to help them in kind of a client service model. And so I think you actually probably have more useful and transferable experiences than you think. Um, And I think that just there's no cookie cutter, kind of like I said, before going into your summer, you know, as a 1L summer, for those of you listening, there's no pressure to go get a law job to be able to be employable going through the recruit. If you were a lifeguard before and you want to be a lifeguard again, go be a lifeguard for that summer. Go take courses, go travel. There's there's no set experience that will um, make you a success in your role at a firm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, 
I actually also served and I think that was one of the things that helped me the most and it was one of the things I talked about during my infirms uh, the most because it's there's a lot of transferable skills you know from talking to different kinds of people from learning how even a corporation works um, seeing different structures within that corporation from management to serving and everything. yeah I think it's you know things that people think aren't maybe the cookie cutter path towards law school are the things that tend to help most. Absolutely. Even just learning how to juggle competing demands. I think a restaurant is one of the best ways to do that. Yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing that. And so we also noted that you were president of the Women's Caucus during your time at UBC. Do you believe that um, women are still facing challenges when it comes to working at large corporate firms? And if so, what challenges would you say are the most predominant still? I would say, yes, absolutely. Women are still facing challenges working at large corporate firms. I think there's been a lot of of change and shift in, in recent years in our generation and in the generation before us. And I think it takes time to see these changes map out all the way at the top of the value chain within a law firm. Um, but I do think that these challenges are still very much um, at play. I think the most predominant challenge that I would highlight is one of retention and advancement of women. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, there are changes and they are taking place where even I'm, from my own experience, when I was in law school, um, 63% of our class was women. And so you might look at that statistic and be like, okay, you know, changes are happening and we're making moves. And that's very true. Uh, but then, you know, you fast forward five years from there, are all of these women still in the in the legal force? Um, you know, where is kind of the drop off? And so I think that retention and advancement piece is one of the main issues that's kind of being worked through right now. Law is a traditionally male dominated field and the practice of law inherently favors men uh, over their female counterparts, which feeds into that retention and advancement issue. And so just the very structure of how we practice law can be more challenging for women. You know, especially when you think about partner track and, you know, that goal of if if that is your goal of becoming a partner and kind of the grind that goes into that for a number of years and how that overlaps with kind of the childbearing years for women. Right. And so there's a whole host of issues that come from that, um, which is probably more than I can unpack on just this post. But another element, I think, is unconscious bias you know, and, and how that plays in from intersectional feminism. And so I think it's it's great that feminism has been kind of a, a key topic in the conversation in the last while and that these changes are happening. But I think we need to broaden the scope and not just look at um, issues for women, but issues for women who also identify in other um, groups that are marginalized. And so whether that's your sexuality, your ethnicity, um, all these other kind of aspects of your identity, uh, we need to kind of broaden the scope and see how all of these um, different moving pieces uh, align with retention and advancement within a firm. I think it's great that this topic or this issue, I guess, is being recognized more and more now, because I remember talking to someone and your firm had hired, you know, like six articling students and all six of them were women. So that was something that was amazing. But she said that, you know, it's not just about the hiring piece. It's like, can we make them stay? Like their attention is definitely an issue. And so it was just nice to hear that she recognizes that this is an issue. And, you know, it's not just like, okay, we hired six women, that's the end. But like, there's more pieces to that. And so I think that's really important to recognize. And I definitely agree with the unconscious bias part as well. And I think that firms are definitely starting to recognize that more and more, especially with the standard behavioral questions that I think were a big part of last year's 
interim process. So hopefully there's more changes being made soon. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think, like you said, it's something that takes a while to kind of map out and to see those changes. Um, but in the meantime, what do you think that large national firms like Macmillan can do to help accommodate women in the legal field? I think there's three main prongs that come to mind for me. Uh, the first one is listening um, and having structures in place to, to, to listen and then to make meaningful change from what's being heard. I also think it's important to reevaluate policies to address gaps. And then I think it's important to track progress and meaningfully engage with where you are in the process. And I can give a little bit more context um, from the Macmillan side of things, because I can only really speak to Macmillan's experience with, um, with women in law. And so Macmillan has what's called the Gender Parity Initiative, uh, which used to be called the Women's Initiative, but has since rebranded and expanded its scope. Um, and so this initiative provides business development, networking and leadership opportunities to women lawyers and supports the development of progressive firm policies. And so one initiative that the Gender Parity Initiative took on recently was a research program where they engaged a consultant to anonymously interview lawyers at the firm to aggregate data and to give it to management to help get a better picture of kind of the interworkings within the firm. And so it's projects like this that can help in terms of making meaningful change. And then reevaluating the policies and addressing the gaps. So Macmillan has a maternity and parental leave policy flexible work arrangement policy, and a new parent toolkit that provides resources for getting ready for parenthood, uh, getting ready for leave, uh, transitioning back into practice, um, and, you know, having flexibility in that approach. And so one example of this is having reduced billable targets for the first couple of months coming back from leave. And so that's kind of part of what I'm saying with a evaluating policies, seeing what's working, what isn't working. You know, if you haven't had a parental leave policy on paper, you know, th that actually factors back into women in law, having that, uh, you know, parental leave beyond just the maternal aspect and how that feeds into the bigger family picture. And so I think these kinds of policies and, and movements to address gaps really help. And then finally, like I was saying, tracking progress. Oh, yes. Macmillan is, is looking at these statistics. And so the most recent numbers that I've been given are that 28% of our total partners and 21% of our equity partners are women. And so I think this is actually quite a big jump from, you know, law as you would have pictured it back in the 80s or 90s or early 2000s. Um, while these percentages might seem modest, they're a massive move in the right direction. And like I've kind of uh, alluded to earlier, you know, you see changes, whether it's from just the articling hires um, and the law school uh, proportions of women, but you have to see how it scales all the way up to equity partner. And that that takes a lot of time, especially since it can take more than and often does take more than 10 years to become an equity partner. So you see those changes over time. And among our equity partners, there's been an increase of 10 percent since 2017 in terms of women um, getting those roles. And 56% of those have come into the partnership in the last five years. And so what that means is that the women who are making partner are advancing to equity partner at, at quite an impressive rate. And so, you know, women, women's issues are very much um, a focus of the firm. And 33% of our leadership team is also women. That's amazing to hear. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I think it was so nice to hear about the flexibility with parental leave because, you know, um, reducing billable hours after coming back was something I hadn't even thought about. So to hear that the firm is already taking these initiatives, that's so great. And I think the research 
project that you were talking about that the firm's doing earlier, that's really interesting because I think until we have, you know, like the numbers and the statistics, it's really hard to maybe know what policies to improve. So the fact that they're looking beyond just making a policy, writing it, but actually putting in the work and time and resources to research where the issues lie, I think that's really important. And I think in terms of the statistics, you were saying, you know, even though they do seem modest, I think it's very important that we are seeing that that change. Because as a woman myself, I think being able to see people who are like myself, you know, women, even women of color in a partnership position allows me to kind of envision my own future and see that, you know what, this is possible for me. So, I mean, it might seem like a modest change, but I think it's, like you said, definitely a step in the right direction. And I think it's only going to get better because now we're able to actually physically see people in these you know, positions. Absolutely. Representation is kind of everything and it factors into that mentorship piece too, right? And from my experience, people who have kind of been trailblazers and been a part of, you know, the first, you know, women to become partner at the firm or equity partner at the firm, they're very generous with their time and they really kind of pay it forward to to those coming into their own. And I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle. And I know you don't see that everywhere, but I think finding key mentors that are really invested in you and are championing your career, um, that also factors into retention. No, that's so amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And so I was just wondering, as someone, you know, who's gone through the recruitment process, would you be able to tell us a little bit about how you chose McMillan? I'm sure there's many reasons. Yeah, absolutely. So I think when I was um, going back into kind of rewinding the clock to like OCI times and those applications and trying to figure out what mattered most to me, I was very interested in working somewhere where I felt like I could bring my whole self to work, somewhere that focused on EDI, somewhere that focused on mentorship and training um, and really cared about you as a person. And that is very much what I felt about Macmillan from my very first interactions. And I just kept wanting to learn more. And everyone I met very much kind of nailed that message home to me. And um, people say as you go through this process, oh, it's all the people. And that's always kind of frustrating because you can't understand it until you're in it. But I would say that it was very much the approach to people and people buying into that message and carrying it forward and kind of that interplay that very much made me want to work at Macmillan. No, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, a lot of the times when you're trying to differentiate between firms, it definitely comes to the people at the end of the day. And sometimes it's, as a student, difficult to tell, because like you said, you're not going to be in the firm for a while. And so how do you know what the right, I guess, fit, as people love using that word is, but that's really nice to hear that, you know, they were able to take this people friendly approach with you and you were able to find your mentors well in advance and connect with them. I think that's probably really helpful in terms of picking a firm. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and yeah, thank you for touching a little bit on the OCI process. Um, can you talk a little bit about what the transition was uh, from being a summer student to an articling student to eventually becoming an associate? Um, and maybe just touch a little bit on how your firm was able to support you through these phases. I would say that each stage of becoming a lawyer comes with its own learning curve. Um, I think summer might have even been the biggest shock to the system because you are coming into a work environment that you're unfamiliar with. Mine was also layered with um, peak pandemic. So I actually did my summer from my bedroom at my parents' house. And um, 
So there was a whole host of unique issues there. But I think, um, you know, you have the learning curve about who are the people at the firm? Who do I go to for all these different issues? How do I use this computer? What is a VPN? Like all these different factors for, for how to even do your job. And then articling, you have a whole host of different factors because now you're trying to really focus in on what what do I actually want to do? What experiences do I want to have? Because you kind of feel the clock ticking to find an interest or a place to kind of start your career. And so summer is more about kind of getting your toes wet, trying different things, learning how to work in a law firm. And then articling is a bit more about getting that actual experience, tailoring that experience, finding what clicks for you. And then as an associate, you go from having been someone who does work for kind of everyone at the firm in all different areas to learning what your practice is actually going to look like in the area you've been hired into. And so from my own personal experience, I would say like summer was kind of a free for all, trying different things, just understanding what working in a law firm is like. Articling was very much uh, you know, let's see what litigation looks like. Let's see what capital markets looks like. Let's build these relationships. Let's try these different practices. And then ultimately finding your fit and your people and, you know, the practice that you want to move forward with, which for me was business law with a specialization in technology and intellectual property. And a big piece of that came from the people that I worked with and built those relationships with. And then as an associate in the last few months, I've been transitioning into what it's like to actually be in the business law group with a specialization in technology and intellectual property and what that looks like and working with certain people more closely, working with certain people on more projects, seeing different dynamics that kind of evolve. And I'd say the firm has been really supportive through all those different phases in my career so far. You know, as a some one of the main things that stuck out to me went back in that OCI process that I was should have mentioned was the training piece um, with Macmillan. So Macmillan takes the first two weeks of your summer Um, where you're not doing any legal work, you are just training. And so you're training to shrink all those different learning curves, like the technology one, the people one, the different types of practices, how a law firm works. You, You have a whole session just on how to write a research memo. You get, you know, a unique like a bundle of of facts and papers and all these different things that you then take that research and you turn it into a research memo and then they give your memo to a partner to read and review with you and meet and so this is all just kind of a mock situation but to try and give you exposure to those skills and so i think that's very unique in the, in the industry and was one of the key drivers for me to to work at Macmillan and to stay at Macmillan and to feel supported by Macmillan and so that that training piece really fed into the summer And then again, as an articling student, you have another week that's kind of a refresher after a year away. And then um, as an associate, anytime you want ongoing training in a certain area, you just reach out and you'll have a one-on-one session. And so I think that that support is very much there. And then through formal and informal mentorship as well. Amazing to hear. And I think that there's definitely big changes as you go through these positions, whether it's a summer student or articling an associate, like you said, there's so many changes that come with it. So even though, you know, like you've entered the legal field, you still don't know what being an articling student is going to look like or what being an associate is going to look like. And I think there's always going to be these changes that you have to adjust to. So it's really nice to hear how the firm was able to support you. And I think the training piece is such a great key because I remember thinking like, you know, like we personally haven't written a research memo yet. And I was like, okay, like that's something maybe I need to learn on my own time and like really get on it. So it's so nice to hear that that's something that the firm, you know, is willing to teach and spend time on and to get you feedback from other associates or partners. I think that's 
really helpful for students. So thank you for sharing that. Another quick uh, anecdote just to give people comfort. When you're joining a law firm um, as a summer student or an articling student, they don't expect you to know anything. <laughs> you know, they, they really do teach you, take you as a blank slate and try and, you know, give you the good habits and teach you the right approaches to, to all the different facets of practice. It takes time to get there, right? So it's not like in that two weeks, you're now an expert on law, but, you know, there's a lot of understanding and how to mold legal professionals to excel in the industry. That sounds great. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so just to build off of that, I was wondering if you could maybe share a little bit of advice on how students can set themselves up for success going into the recruit. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's all different kinds of approaches to the recruit. I just want to start by saying that I think it's really important for people to focus on what they are interested in or what what experiences they want to get, because I think a lot of what happens and kind of the the buzzing hive of a law school is a lot of comparison and a lot of, oh, I guess I should be doing this or, you know, student loans. So I have to do this or whatever. But I would encourage people to really kind of think about what they actually want to do uh, beyond the pressures of, of other people's opinions, maybe, which is really hard to do, to be honest. But I so one thing that I did gearing up for the recruit is I decided to put my blinders up and I didn't really compare with friends or colleagues about where I was applying, what OCIs I got, what infirms I got, what job I got. Like I just did it all myself so that I knew I wouldn't be swayed by other people's opinions. And maybe that's the extreme end of the spectrum. I think a lot of people benefit also from having those those conversations with trusted confidants and whatnot. Um, so that's kind of maybe some advice around going through it. I would just say like stay true to yourself. And then in terms of like tangible advice, I would say, you know, start getting out there and, and having conversations and building your network, you know, and it doesn't, my, my approach to networking is very genuine. I don't like transactional networking. Um, and I think that's one issue with kind of gearing up for recruit and everything is everything feels so transactional, even if you don't want it to. Um, so having genuine conversations with people asking questions about things you actually want to know, um, building relationships, going on coffee chats, you know, just looking for mentorship, not necessarily a job is kind of how I would approach conversations because people can be a mentor for five minutes or five years. There's different approaches to mentorship. And maybe one thing someone said to you in passing at an event two years ago ended up actually being something really important to you. That actually happened to me recently when I was at a conference. I met the lawyer who um, he didn't know it at the time and wouldn't know it now. But from a, a passing conversation I had with him at an event, he's the reason why I explored intellectual property law. Mm. And so, you know, you just you wouldn't know it in the moment. And I told him that recently and he was just like, whoa, like, that's so cool. Um, so, again, like just having conversations with people, not knowing where they're going to lead you, but being genuine about it is is a key piece of advice that I would give gearing up more specifically for the recruit, I'd encourage you to actually research the firms you're interacting with, have thoughtful questions, um, you know, really engage with the process and think about what you actually want out of, out of a role or out of a process or, you know, what kind of job you actually want, not just what you think you should want. Right. No, that's really helpful. And I think the networking piece, especially is something I realized over the summer was definitely something you realize as well, how like someone can be your mentor for, you know, longer than just that one hour coffee chat. And I think those kinds of relationships really genuinely help you more than just that one hour coffee chat. Like you learn a lot from them. And I think just going through the recruit, like it was just such a great experience in the way that 
you're getting to talk to all these lawyers, learn from their experiences, learn how they got to where they are and just like get some of their knowledge. And I don't think that's an opportunity you would get otherwise. So at the end of the day, I think just even being able to connect and network with these lawyers that you otherwise wouldn't have, I think that was something really great that came out of the recruit personally for me. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think for most students, I know for myself, when I was researching all these firms, I mean, on pen and paper, they all look very similar. Like they're all very impressive. They all have great lawyers. You know, they all do great work. But I think those coffee chats is what really kind of helps you set those firms apart. And I think at the end of the day, like you were saying, it is about whether or not you fit into the firm and and you need to stay true to yourself. And I think being able to um, network with people and go on these coffee chats really allows you to figure out, okay, is this the kind of work that I want to do? Is this the kind of place I want to be at? And um, I think looking and interacting with these people kind of help you figure out, you know, is this the right fit for me? Absolutely. Because like you said, you look at uh, the websites, all law firms do everything and they're the best at everything. So like, <laughs> you're like, what do you actually do? Yeah. And those those are the things you get from having those those conversations and those dialogues and really getting a sense of a firm's culture beyond just what you can see on a website. Right. And I think there's some practice areas that, you know, are maybe only done in the Toronto office or like the Calgary office. And so you wouldn't know that just looking at the website. So I think to network and actually talk to someone at the firm, I think that's really helpful. And then also like talking about transferable skills, like we were kind of earlier on, you know, having these conversations, learning how to talk to lawyers will make, you know, OCIs in firms or, you know, 1L recruit so much easier because you're used to having these conversations and then they are just conversations. They're not really like testing you or trying to see how you can interact in this setting because you just exist, like you just are at that point. Um, Yeah, so just to switch gears a little bit here, Annika, I see that you work a lot with um, startup tech companies as well as established companies and you specifically help them with software development, um, licensing and cybersecurity issues. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you chose that area of practice and if it was difficult to adapt without having a technological background? Absolutely. I would say that even when I was in business school, I was really interested in cutting edge technology and where society is going to go moving forward. And I think I carried that interest into law with me as well. And so working at a national business law firm with all these different practice areas, I knew that I really wanted to explore that kind of cutting edge technology and, you know, clean technology and these different facets of practice. And so I connected early on with the head of our tech group and the head of our IP group in Vancouver and really focused on building those relationships early on and offering to help in any way that I could. And then started getting repeat work um, kind of in the same way you would in any law setting once you start building those relationships and the trust and um, figuring out if you work well together. And so I just kept getting work in these areas and it really aligned with what I thought I was interested in. And then I would say that's when the people piece really rings true is you know, I think when you're in the OCI process or whatever recruited people keep saying people and it's so hard to understand it, kind of like what I was saying before and this whole fit thing that we've discussed. But I noticed it actually um, in, in practice when you're in the law firm and you're trying to figure out which group works best for you. That's when I think the people and fit piece really ties in because I basically just found a handful of lawyers that I work really well with, that I really like as people and who I have a great working relationship with. And then the work just followed and the interest was there. And so it was really just a perfect storm for me. 
And um, I felt very supported in that area. Like I said before, as you enter law, you're a blank slate, you know nothing. So I definitely knew nothing about like software development, licensing, cybersecurity. I just knew that that's stuff that I find interesting. And so I've been welcomed with open arms and been taught from the ground up. And I feel very supported in going out and getting additional education on my own, like going to webinars, going to conferences. Um, yeah, so I feel very supported. And then on the side of intellectual property, because that ties in as well to startup technology, um, there's kind of this myth that goes around that you need a science background or you're not even going to get looked at for for IP and I think I thought that was true coming into law, but I, I'm realizing from my own experience that that's not the case. Um, it, you know, I think it helps again with that learning curve and how I was saying, you know, we're all an accumulation of our life experience. What life experience is transferable? Well, if you come from a hard science background, that's very transferable and makes that learning curve a lot easier. But I think you can still get there otherwise. I think it's most specifically in, in the patent area um, with that complexity that a science background would be a lot easier. Um, I don't do patent work personally. I do more of like copyright and trademark work, which um, I will say on the record that you don't need to have a hard science background for. And thank you for sharing that because that's definitely something that I'm interested in. You know, technology is such a big part of our lives now, and I'm sure going into the future, it'll only increase. And so to know that you can explore these practice areas without having a hard background in them, that's, I think, really great for students who are looking to explore all these areas that they have an interest in, but just might not have had a background in. Sorry, just building off of that. So what would you say is the biggest challenge for a lawyer in your practice? The biggest challenge for a lawyer in my practice area is also the biggest opportunity, I would say. Uh, when you're working with cutting-edge technologies, they tend to evolve faster than the law catches up to them. And so when you're working with these technologies, you don't really have a blueprint of law that's already set out for you. A lot of times the law is not there and you're going to have to advocate for what the law should be or give advice on, on laws that don't exist yet. And so that can be really, really challenging, but is also an opportunity for creativity and for cutting edge thinking as a lawyer as well. That's so interesting because I think that just creates more policies and legislation going ahead since you are, you know, advocating for these things that aren't even in place yet. So I'm sure that'll change the law a lot going ahead. So that's really nice to hear. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I'm going to shift gears one more time here, Annika. Um, I saw that you were recognized by Mundak as the thought leading co-author for compliance um, in spring 2022. Congratulations on that, by the way. That's very impressive. And it's a huge accomplishment. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about this project and how you decided to write about this topic? Yeah, absolutely. So this actually was a really cool experience that kind of just popped out of nowhere. I would say I was um, maybe a, I'll scale it back and say a piece of advice as a student entering law is to have an open mind and to want to explore different areas. And so as we've kind of talked about earlier on in the podcast, I'm interested in business law. I came into my practice um, with that in mind, but I also very much wanted to explore as many different things as I could and as many different subsets of business as I could. And so one aspect of that was um, learning about white collar crime. I thought that was really interesting. And so I reached out to one of the lawyers at our firm who does that work and demonstrated interest and said, if I can help write anything or support in any way, I'd like to learn more about this. And so an opportunity to write a bulletin uh, came on my desk and I did the first draft, worked with other lawyers, uh, learned a lot from their expertise and ended up publishing this as a bulletin on the Macmillan website. 
and then I think Mondak picked it up. Um, there's kind of these third party websites that pick up bulletins from the different law firms and kind of uh, consolidate them for for people to read. And then I suppose that this one just got the most clicks in that area. And so we got recognized for having um, a meaningful piece of writing in that area. And so it wasn't really something we applied for or looked, um, looked to get into, but really just from wanting to learn more about this area of law and from working with um, experts in the area, this piece got picked up. And so that was really cool. And I'd like to take this opportunity maybe to, again, kind of in that same lane of saying, try and get as many experiences as you can. You can get a lot of really cool, diverse opportunities as an articling student. And there's different ways of framing it. You can frame it as like the hardest year of your life where you have to learn a million things because that part is true. But there's also like another way of framing it as like when in your life will you ever have another year where you are just paid to learn as much as you can in as many different areas and have exposure to insane expertise all across the board and these people who really are, you know, the leaders in their field. And so in this articling year that I had, I reached out to people in all different groups and tried to get um, a breadth of experiences. And now I can look back and think like, you know, I have my name on it on a case decision, you know, <laughs> like, I'm not a litigator, but I have that experience now that I can look back on. You know, I've, I've worked with people in different groups in the firm, whether it be the, uh, the white collar crime group, the uh, a technology group, I've got uh, an article that was published in a magazine. I represented a client at a settlement conference a month into my articles where I was kind of the lawyer on file negotiating for a deal. Like a, there's a lot of meaningful experience that you can get when you go and look for it. And so that's kind of a parting piece of advice that I would give to students is to try and make the most out of your experience um, as you're entering the workforce and trying to figure out what you're interested in because it might sneak up on you. Right. No, that's so amazing that you got to experience all these opportunities. So thank you for sharing that. And once again, congratulations on the article. That's amazing. And I think it's super important. I completely agree that, you know, going in as a blank slate and just trying all these things, because as you mentioned earlier, you didn't know that you were going to maybe be interested in IP law. And I think honestly, like after talking to you and others, like you never really know where you're going to end up. And I've heard so many lawyers say, you know, like I wanted to do litigation, but I ended up doing solicitor's work and like vice versa. So I think as an articling student to have all these opportunities and experiences, it's really important. So thank you for sharing that piece of advice with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. And so just to end off a little bit, I know, you know, law can be a stressful profession and I'm sure there are many ways and resources to help manage stress and cope with difficult situations. I know that mental health and the law is getting more recognition day by day. And so we were just wondering, what are some things you enjoy doing to help with this? Absolutely. I'm a big advocate for for mental health and law. And I think it's really important, you know, if I can give one piece of advice in this area, it's to just be gentle with yourself. And to know, you know, if you're having a day when you really, really slept in when you shouldn't have, or, you know, you had a day when you just needed to watch an extra episode of a trash TV show, like, be gentle with yourself, because it, it's, it's what you need to kind of perform at your best, right? If you're always working at kind of a half tank, you're never going to perform, you need to kind of refill your tank with what gives you energy. And so for me, it is you know, spending time with family and friends and my family dog and going on walks or, you know, a good crossword or a Sudoku puzzle, you know, um, all of those just kind of things that you do to to refill your own tank. 
Um, I think that's really important and being gentle with yourself and not thinking like, oh, because I slept that extra hour, I didn't work that extra hour. And so I'm, I'm not good enough. Like that, that's not a healthy and sustainable approach to law. I think we need to bake in the different elements that help give us that energy to perform at our best. Right. That's so sweet. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I'm just curious, what kind of dog do you have? And what- um, my family dog's a Bernadoodle. So he's about 100 pounds. He's full of love and he, he knows how cute he is. Oh, that's adorable. adorable. (laughs) Annika, thank you so much for your time today. Both us and our listeners really appreciate your time and the knowledge you have provided us with. So thank you so much for that. Our last question to you is where can people and businesses find you for your services or if they wanted to reach out to you to learn more? Absolutely. So our firm website is mcmillan.ca. You can find me. I have one of of the profiles up there. You can just search my name. You can also feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or my email is annika.classen at mcmillan.ca. And I'm always really, really happy to meet with students at any level of their kind of career or of their decision making process. Don't feel like you have to want to apply to Macmillan to reach out. I'd love to, to connect with you. Great. Thank you so much once again for being here with us today. And we look forward to seeing where your journey in the legal profession takes you. 